Welcome back once again. This week we are dealing with the classic tale of crazy people and government cover-ups. I'm Kenny May. And I'm Tony Marchese. And we're all blocked up. Okay, welcome back to this second episode of the month on Steven Spielberg. Today we are covering Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which a very one of one of Spielberg's more popular movies. Oh yeah, it's I, I think most people include it as one of his. It's one of like, like the classic must-see movies of the seventies. Seventy-seven is what it's called. Yeah, I saw. of the seventies, which makes sense because, as you remember from last month, from last month's episodes, I discussed this season as the blockbuster boys. So there's that. Uh, anyway, so initial impressions. Um. So, this was not the first time I'd viewed it. I'd, I'd watched this movie probably about three years ago when I was working an overnight shift and desperate for things to entertain myself. And it was one of those, like, oh, I've been hearing about this my entire life. I need to actually finally sit down and watch it. And I had seen pieces of it on TV, because it's one of those movies that gets played every once in a while and you just catch parts of it. The movie as a whole was not what I had thought it was going to be based on what I had seen in pieces and what it had been talked up to be. Oh, definitely. At the first viewing a couple years ago, I actually found myself incredibly disappointed, Mm -hmm. which I know is like a sin against Western civilization as I say that, and and I'll be expelled. (laughs) I I just, it just, like I said, it wasn't what I expected it to be based on on all that. In fact, I'm pretty sure I fell asleep for a small chunk of the middle of it. (laughs) Because watching it this time, I'm like, I don't even remember this part happening, so I must have been asleep for this. Um, I love the music. Oh, it's it's John Williams. Yeah, yeah. The music definitely hit all the right emotions for me, which kind of like was in contrast to how much I cared about these characters. Yeah, there was a, there was one bit about the design of the of the sound for overall that I understood the artistic choice. I enjoyed the artistic choice, but it was overused. And that was the pure chaos in some of the scenes. Yeah. Like, I understand how important it is that it's shown to be, this is new, this is weird, this is chaotic, so we're going to have a bunch of noise going on, like in the control center where everyone's talking over each other. And uh, But there are times where it was, it, it tried too much. And that was my biggest complaint with this film across the board is, it tried too hard to be what it was. We didn't need every single object in the house shaking and rattling <laughs> and making an unearthly amount of noise to be creeped out by this. Because actually the levels got a bit high. Yeah. Which, I mean, I love dynamic soundtracks because especially I think it was around the 90s was in music when the loudness wars started happening, as they're called, which is just... <laughs> trying to get everything to the same loudness so that uh, we could, to make it better for broadcast, basically. Because the, the more dynamics you have is great, but that means you have to play it at a certain loudness for everything to sound right. So there is a lot of music industry nonsense with that. Uh, but that's not what we're discussing. We're discussing a film. <laughs> that's what 
That's what these podcasts are. They're rambles. They're just yeah. rambling. So, let's focus. Let's let's hone in on the story a bit. What were your thoughts on that? Um, <laughs> I guess that I probably I feel like I had built up a story kind of in my own mind that didn't pan out on screen once I had finally seen the movie. Yeah. I I, I just feel like a lot of what we were wanting from everything that led up to the very end wasn't delivered on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I, catching it in pieces as a kid, I, I think I built up this very creepy, like, uh, like I know it's not a horror film and it was never meant to be a horror film, obviously, but, yeah. but there was a, a certain fear that I got watching some of the bits that I caught. Like, I think I, I saw the kid get abducted. Uh-huh. And and I saw probably the very beginning where these airplanes that had disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle reappear out of nowhere. We don't know what's going on, and there's just some weirdness that we're not understanding. And you know, we we always fear what we don't understand. Yeah. And so it, I guess it was just kind of weird to get to the very end, and like, oh, these aliens are actually super friendly. And there's no real existential concern here whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, no, I get, we, I get where you're coming from because it was interesting. Because I, I, met, I remember hearing, I forget some where I heard this, but I remember hearing that the entire thing was just a misunderstanding, and it was just one of those knee-jerk responses that the human race usually has to new, to new interesting things. Is right. to, it probably wants to kill it, so let's shoot it. And that's basically, I mean, that's been the plot of so many different American things is we don't understand this, so to make sure that it won't get away with destroying us, we're going to destroy it first. Yeah, that's, that, that is definitely a common theme in science fiction and, and anything that touches on a, a story with an extraterrestrial. It's yeah. this idea like, it's an unknown, we don't understand it, we're going to act offensively when we should probably be defensive and see what's going on first. With the, the one exception that what I would have to say would be Star Trek. Star oh, Trek yeah. has take, was one that took the more passive approach until they introduced a storyline where, like, I believe the first time I noticed it, and of course I was doing the weird thing of trying to watch Star Trek in story order instead of release order, <laughs> so I started with Enterprise, which was really good. Really enjoyed that uh, arc. It it gets a lot of of flack, but I actually did enjoy Enterprise, and yeah, the Zinti. Yeah, with with the, with that alien race, they finally had reason to right. be on the offensive. Right, and, and that's there, they were still reluctant. Right, which yeah, is nice. Which is and they they pushed the bounds of like what a Federation person is supposed to do, but I guess they they kind of excused it as we're very early Federation, we're still figuring it out. Yeah, because they were the first. And, of course, the, the initial attack from the, the Zinti is obviously supposed to be like a metaphor for 9-11, since that was yeah. very much in everyone's thinking at the time. Also, the, uh, the other thing there, even though this is getting onto a very <laughs> uh, other tangent, the other thing there was the fact that they weren't really doing anything except carrying these, because troops, like actual military, was, were placed onto the Enterprise during that arc. Right. So... They were, they were still trying to do their best to be hands-off, but 
the government sort of just said, okay, you're now escorting the military there. Yeah, there's there's definitely a few places, and and Star Trek always does get interesting in those spots. There's a few places where there are these existential threats, like the Zinti, like mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Dominion in DS9, yeah. and of course the Klingons, and. You know, Star Trek is pretty good about using those to shake things up and, mm-hmm. and ask moral questions while never fully abandoning their these Starfleet principles. Yeah. Uh, and I guess Star Trek is always is very much about like this is in the future once we've figured it all out is kind of how yeah. it's it's presented at least from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Whereas of course Close Encounters is set in the time that it was it was written yeah. and filmed. And I guess it does kind of ask that question, like, are we ready for this? Because mm-hmm. there, there, there were some people that, even before, even uh, besides the, pe- the non-government people, there were people in the government that knew about this, like, for a fact, and decided that, hey, maybe they're not hostile. Right. And, of course, they were immediately told to shut up. <laughs> But <laughs> yeah, like you got the the more academic guys who are like, well, these people were invited here for a reason. We should see what happens. And the military is a bit more like, we want control of this situation. We've got our selected people who are going to make contact. Yeah. But uh, also that whole speaking of contact, <laughs> that was probably the lamest scene I have ever seen in a sci-fi movie. I mean, I loved the motif with the five tones and the yeah. communication. But with all the buildup, the reveal was <laughs> stupid. Like all this security outside, and then a guy can just walk straight. Right. In. He just walked, and I'm laughing as I'm walking, watching him just walk into the scene, and like everyone's so focused on the ship, they're yeah. not even noticing the civilian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's gonna be there's gonna be some weird volume in this because the uh, room has air conditioning, so I've been having to live mix. The gain on this microphone that I'm using, but yeah. So, so I, like I said, there. I, I think what bothers me about the story, like I touched on, is that there there doesn't seem to be this existential threat, which can happen in a story. And if we don't know that until the very end, okay, fine. You know, Harry wasn't in any real danger in in book three, but we yeah. accept it because the book is still dark and scary things happen. He's still under like immediate threats here and there. Yeah. But um I I guess it one thing I kept thinking as I'm watching is is who is the antagonist of this story? Cuz for the first half the antagonist of the story seems to be his wife and his wife and children. Yeah. Like they're the ones coming between him and this space exploring guy that he his at least subconscious wants to be. Yeah. And then I guess so the second half it becomes the government, which mm-hmm. I guess feels a little bit more disconcerting. Yeah. I also one interesting choice I want to touch on before we wrap up this episode. I love the I love the choice that was made to not turn his construction of the mount of the giant dirt mountain in his living room. That could have easily been turned into a montage. <laughs> it wasn't. No, they did just they, kind of skip they to showed it, didn't the they? Inti- well, no, they just they showed the entire thing for the most part. They showed him oh, when he's just a, like, when he's yeah. accumulating all the material, yeah. He's just like bush, bush, dirt, right. 
Because if that was turned into a montage with some nice scoring behind it, we would have taken it as, okay, here's our hero doing something heroic. But because it's not shown as a montage, <laughs> we see it for what it actually looks like, which is this crazy guy right. filling his kitchen with dirt. And, and everyone in the neighborhood being very aware of it yeah. and wondering what the hell's going on. Mm. Okay, so now that we're coming to the end of the episode, one out of five goldfish. So I, I feel like I might be being generous just considering how many problems I had with a story, but considering there were things that I did very much like about it, I will say three. Okay. I was able to stick with it this time. I think my first viewing was troubled because I had expectations, mm -hmm. and it was obviously late at night, and I clearly wasn't focusing as much as I could if I fell asleep. Yeah. So having seen it now a second time, I, I've feel like I've, I was in a better place to watch it the second time, knowing how it wasn't going to wow me like I expected it to, mm -hmm. and I was able to kind of to view it again in that context. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm... And also knowing how it was going to end and how the ending bothered me the first time. Yeah. Just because it's the story of a man abandoning his family. <laughs> yes, yes. Like, I just can't get past that, really. Yeah, there was, there was no real resolution for that subplot of... Because, uh, for one, there was also no resolution to the rest of the world. They made contact, they returned people, and then they left. Yeah. And There's so and much the left unresolved. Ended. Yes, it was... Almost as bad as the end of The Shining, <laughs> where I was very much disappointed because all this stuff was just thrown, surprise, and then the movie ends. But yeah, and they, you also have these dozens. No of, you have these dozens of people now who are plucked out of time and dropped back in the world. Like, mm -hmm. what's the government going to do with them? Sounds like an awesome idea for a spin-off TV show. Like the forty-four hundred. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, I mean. It's been done, I guess, but like it wasn't resolved in this story by any means. Yeah. All right. So as as for me, I I enjoyed it a bit more. I would say it's again like maybe three and a half, almost almost four because it was an engaging story. It wasn't super engaging, so yeah, never mind. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with you on three. So, well. That's it for this week's episode. Join us next week for the final movie of Spielberg that we'll be talking about, which is his not very known film, Always. Until then, I'm Kenny May. I'm Tony Marchese. And we're still all blocked up. <laughs>